You're going to have to stay on your toes this morning as we go through the scriptures. You won't uh, have to turn to everything, but did you guys ever do that sword drill where you try to turn into your Bible as fast as you can? Okay, get ready. Maybe I will. I'll have someone raise their hand if they get to it first. That'll be cool. There should be Bibles in the pews in front of you, so go ahead and get them out. This is going to be fun. Last week, we talked about miracles. Uh, When Jesus started his ministry, I just wanted to uh, talk a little bit uh, before we get started, a a review from last week. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And so last week, we talked about miracles a little bit. And why they happen and, and kind of what surrounds miracles and what are their purpose. And um, <clears throat> so we talked about uh, six things. The first thing was that miracles happen on a kingdom level. We, we, we talk a lot about the kingdom uh, here at, at Living Spring because we want to be kingdom-minded people. We want all our decisions to be made. What effect does it have on the kingdom of God, advancing God's kingdom? And so miracles happen on a kingdom level. They don't make any sense to us on earth. They, they happen on a kingdom level, and it impacts the earth. And we go, man, that doesn't make sense at all. And sometimes it looks totally different than anything we've seen before. And so we talked about that a little bit, and we talked about how there are miracles that happen today that, that are different than we see in the Word of God. They don't contradict the Word at all, but they might be different. Uh, the Bible isn't God's contract that he signed with us saying, I'm only going to operate in these ways from now on. He can do whatever he wants, but he'll never contradict the word of God. Um, we, we talked about when Jesus sent out the 72. He sends them out, they come back, and they're all freaked out because God had, Jesus had given them the ability to heal and to cast out demons. And so they come back and they were rejoicing, saying, even the demons submit to us in our name in your name. And he said, fantastic. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. It was great. But don't rejoice that the demons submit to you. Rejoice that your names are in the book of life. Keep it all kingdom-minded stuff. Second thing we talked about was miracles show God's glory. We can't manufacture this stuff on our own. Now, some of them, some people have tried. They've had the little earpiece, and when it came for the healing, they had people out in the audience already to act it all out that's happened before but for those of us who've seen real miracles you can't fake that kind of stuff it shows god's glory the third thing we talked about was miracles accompany the gospel miracles in themselves aren't supposed to be wow a miracle we see a miracle and then we say this is the god who loves us this is the kind of excuse me (coughs) this is the kind of power that our God has, and it's God who loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. Uh, one of the things we see, uh, we talked about Jesus. He was denouncing these cities where he showed a lot of miracles to them. Why was he denouncing them? Because they didn't repent. It was a whole. It was the kingdom thing, a gospel thing. He didn't. Uh, they believed in the miracles. They loved the miracles, but they didn't repent. And so miracles go with the gospel, and we. And we talked about miracles accompany sound teaching. That Jesus, a lot of times when you read, if you read miracles that Jesus performed, a lot of times he was teaching at that time. He was sharing the gospel and he was, <clears throat> he was teaching. And then uh, we talked about miracles are regulated by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit decides how your gift, if you have a gift of healing or whatever, how it's used and how it's not used. The Holy Spirit decides 
how he's going to manifest himself. There's no magic formula that I can stand up here and go, you know, well, first you do this, and then you do this, and then you do this, and ta-da, there's a miracle. It's all up to the Holy Spirit. And then the last thing we talked about was miracles happen today. And we talked about Melissa Logan and this two-year process of prayer that our church has had for her. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, uh, and now she's healed. She's pain-free. Uh, it's very awesome. Very awesome. So now we're going to get into the Beatitudes. And it's in uh, Matthew chapter 5. And what I'm <clears throat> going to do this morning is read the entire uh, uh, section of Beatitudes. It's in Matthew chapter 5. Starting in verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Thank you. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There's a... Cadillac has a new... um, a new uh, song and that's it it's awesome it goes with all their commercials and it really blows me away anyway let's keep moving on no i'm kidding uh, cadillac has a new set of commercials they're called and and at the end it says life liberty in the pursuit and uh they basically have somebody attractive either a woman or a man and they're in their cadillac and they uh, uh are talking about how awesome their life is and how beautiful they are. And then, <clears throat> you know, at the end, they just floor it, you know, and the Cadillac takes off, and you're like, oh, wow. Life, liberty, and the pursuit. And, oh, I just want a Cadillac so bad. Uh, after seeing that commercial, I don't know what it is. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, okay, let's just keep that down to nothing. Uh, and so it's the pursuit of what? The pursuit of happiness, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what our, that's our country. I mean, <clears throat> we're supposed to, it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, this is awesome that Cadillac read the Beatitudes. I'll bet there was a whole group of people in there, in the boardroom, and they're like, man, how can we, how can we talk about the Beatitudes? Because blessed is happy. That's what the word means. Happy. So happy are the poor in spirit. And so I was going to, but there's no overhead, but I was going to have a, a little, our little uh, Cadillac symbol. I was going to trick it out and do something different. It's great to say what you were going to do when it's not here, right? And then I was going to have a 14-minute video, no, uh, 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 with life, liberty, and the pursuit. And I, I didn't know what I was going to have after that, but, but it's this, idea of pursuing happiness. That's what our country is based on. And I say, yes, we need to embrace the American way and pursue happiness. And this is exactly how we do it. Happy are those. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks is um, look at how can we be happy? 
It's really easy. The scripture has it right here. And we'll see exactly how opposite <laughs> God's way of happiness is to, to our own. So it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's an idea of happiness. This morning we're going to talk about uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I, uh, <clears throat> as you can tell, about Thursday um, afternoon I started getting sick this week. And uh, by Thursday, I had a fever. Friday, <clears throat> I, was, uh, I was pretty much done. And then Saturday, it was, it was like 100. And, well, f- uh, Friday afternoon, it got to like 102, 103. And then sa- yesterday was horrible. I started going, man, I, this is, I can't do this. This is horrible. I got to preach on Sunday. I like having my overhead done, my handouts that I get, all, all this stuff done. I got nothing. Jesse, my seven-year-old, is feeding me dinner. I'm like on the couch just going, oh, thank you, Jesse. I couldn't move. Now, Lisa's, at, now I'm not saying this to, to, to feel, you know, well, a lot of that you guys would feel sorry for me anyway. It's like, yeah, okay, so you were sick. What's the big deal, right? But I had nothing to offer. I couldn't do a thing. Lisa's on, on women's retreat. And so she's gone. She's so sweet. She's calling me all the time. Do you want me to come home? Do you want me to come home? I'm like, no, stay. But I couldn't do a thing. Added to that, I'm a sissy. So when anything bad happens to me, I immediately am like, "Mm, I can't do anything. Right? You put that on top of a fever and you got nothing. And so I'm like, man, I, I I don't know what to do. That, I was poor in spirit. The word for poor that we use here, it's a Greek word, is not just how we think of poor. We think of poor as maybe inner city and, you know, we look at the poverty. We have a a, a figure that we say, this is the poverty level. If you make under this, you're in the poverty level, you're, you're the poor. This is not the New Testament idea of poor. The New Testament idea of poor is a beggar. You, you don't, you have no chance, you have no value in getting any income at all. You have to just sit and put your hand out and beg. That's exactly how I was on the couch on Friday. I was just on, I was watching baseball for crying out loud. If, if I'm watching baseball, it's bad, guys. It's really bad, okay? So I'm, I'm watching, sorry, Brian, I'm watching baseball and, and uh, I'm you know, eating these noodles. I had nothing to give. Nothing. My kids were taking care of me. It was horrible. Well, this is how we come to God. Remember when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, most of what he was coming down on them for was, you guys, you think you have it all together, but you got nothing. I want to read a little section of Ephesians uh, one three. We we just finished the book of Ephesians uh, before we went into Matthew. <coughs> Excuse me, and uh, I want to read it in a different way. Uh, start in Ephesians chapter one verse three. Who's got it? Oh, that was awesome. Devin raised his hand first. That was awesome. My wife's not here, so I can do anything I want. <coughs> Listen to this. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
He chose us before the, found, uh, the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He freely gave, has given us uh, in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ. Man, God sure did do a lot, didn't He? When He redeemed us. And for me, I feel like at different periods of my, of my spiritual journey, I lose sight of that. And I begin to just focus on myself. And I lose sight that I am in fact a beggar. I am poor in spirit. I have nothing to offer. We come to God by His grace through our faith. By faith we just say, Yes, Lord, what you've given me, this gift of Jesus Christ, that's it. And sometimes when we read the scriptures, we, 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 it's all about us. And we forget we have nothing. We've been talking about these kingdoms for a long time. Uh, ever since Philippians, when we were doing Philippians, we've been talking about this kingdom of God. And it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So these miracles that we've been talking about that happen up here, this peace that we have that happens up here, these different things, there's a connectedness between God and us, our kingdom here on earth and, our, and the kingdom of God. And the way we experience that is not through our arrogance of knowing more scripture and being able to do the right formula to produce whatever miracle. It's to go before God and say, I got nothing. That's how I come before you this morning. <clears throat> I got nothing. I got a fever and a cold and it's like, ah, oh, there's no overhead. What in the world? And God's going, you always had nothing. Don't you understand? You think an overhead's going to make you better? It ain't, okay? A video or whatever you got. It's not going to work. You got nothing. That's what we take joy in. That's the kingdom. See, if you have two kingdoms, one up here and one down here, and you realize, I got nothing. All you can do is look up and get your strength from the kingdom. Now let's go ahead and see how we do that. The first thing I want to talk a little bit about is how much Jesus loves the poor. Jesus loves the poor. Now, again, as Americans, we, we don't understand the poor uh, as well. For, for an American, to not have money is like the worst thing in the world that could ever happen to you. If you don't have money, uh, and it, this, is, this is terrible. But to Jesus, he loves the poor, not just the ones that don't have money, but the ones that come broken. Remember when Jesus, uh, when the rich young ruler came to him and said, what do I, what, what can I do to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, well, obey the commandments. And the, the rich young ruler says, well, which, which ones? Which I just love that. Which ones? Let's try all of them. Maybe we could start there. But Jesus doesn't do that. He, he goes to him and he says, uh, um, uh, when he says you are good, he says, uh, 
Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, I've kept all these. What do I lack? And Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor. It's that same Greek word. Give to the people who don't have anything to offer. Now, all your possessions means what? He then becomes that poor person. He then becomes that beggar. He's got nothing. And Jesus says, now you're starting to get it. And the guy went away going, you got to be kidding me. I can't do that. Why? Because he wasn't willing to let go of the sight of this kingdom. He wasn't able to go, oh man, mine is the kingdom of heaven. He wasn't able to, to take his eyes off of this. But Jesus says, no, I love the poor. I love it when you come to me like that. In Luke, it says, For everyone uh, who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be uh, exalted. And Jesus says to this host, this host is having a party, right? And so Jesus says to this host, Here's what I want you to do. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteousness. When you invite the poor, when you are helping people and you know you can't get paid back, when you lend money to people and you know you're not going to get the money back, you're taking your mind off of this kingdom and you're putting it on this kingdom. And the reason Jesus loves it so much is because that's how we come to Him. Nothing beggars everything about God starts with brokenness we have to come as broken I feel like in a lot of ways I've lost sight of that I I love the verse that says come confidently before the throne of grace it's an awesome verse I love it that was a cool I didn't even know I could hit a note that high it's an it's an awesome verse uh because it, it allows me to come be confidently before God, and that's fantastic. But I feel like in a lot of ways, as I've been going over this this week, I've lost sight of the fact that I got nothing. And, and being sick has really helped me. Isaiah 61, 1 says, the spirit, of the, Lord is upon, of God, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. Now listen to this, to bring good news. To whom? To the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners. Proverbs 16.5 says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Oh, I don't like verses like that. Those, aren't, those are not nice verses. I don't like those. Remember uh, in, in Revelation, God's talking to the different churches. And he talks to a lot of churches and he says, Hey, listen, you're doing this really well. I like this. But you better check this part of your, of your nature. I like this. I don't like this. Then he gets to the church of Laodicea. <clears throat> and he says, these are the words of the amen. The faithful and true witness. The ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. This is what he says to them. There's no good with this one. It's kind of a bummer. You're a bummer. It's as if you didn't want to go to this church. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, why? Here's why. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not, 
realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. He's talking to a believing church. He's not talking to to non-believers. And so for me this week, I've been looking at my life going, do I still see myself as a sinner, as someone broken, as a person who needs to go before God. Back in the, uh, in the New Testament days, when, the, when someone would beg, at that time it was so, uh, such an uh, insult, and it's such a, um, uh, it, was so much, it was so difficult for a man to beg. He'd go like this, and typically he'd cover up his face so that you couldn't see him. And he'd just go like this. That's all he'd do. Totally dependent on someone putting something in his hand. There was nothing. He wasn't, it wasn't like he had a, you know, I was at, in San Francisco uh, back in my old job when I used to travel. And, um, and there was this homeless guy and it said, you know, why lie? I'm going to buy beer. You know, he was like, you know, you know. And so that wasn't what they did back then. It wasn't like that. It wasn't, there were no arrogant beggars. Okay. It was just total shame. So I want to talk a little bit um, about uh, three things on, on how we can know if we're uh, uh, poor in spirit and how we can begin to maybe change our thinking again to realize we're not so great. I, I know this is a bummer of a sermon, but I'm sick, so I don't really care. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, I, I think it's going to help us quite a bit. <clears throat> the first thing is how we see God. How we see God. Now think about that for a minute. Think about how... You can close your eyes if you want to. It doesn't matter. But think about God right now. How do you picture Him? Is He a giant person in heaven? Is He a spirit? Is He... What is He like? What is it like when He created the earth? How does He interact with you? What is... What is God like I don't care who you are how spiritual you are you haven't come close (laughs) to how great he is I started going over sometimes when I'm worshiping I I, I like to envision a huge mountain range uh, like the Rocky Mountains huge like what we would say were just gigantic mountains and I like to picture just two giant feet. Like, right, like, that, that, you know, behind the mountains, like just a giant toe <laughs> of behind the mountains. I, don't, I know it's, 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 I'm a very visual person. Like, just a giant toe. Like, these, I could just kick these mountains over with my, I don't come close to what he's like. I mean, Really? If you really thought about, man, how do I come before God? What is He? Everything in us should be like this. Oh, man. I, I, I got nothing. I got nothing. Now, again, not, it's not that we berate ourselves and go, oh, woe is me. I mean, He loves us. He wants us to approach Him. We, he gives us the ability to call Him Daddy, right? But that's all about Him. 
That's his grace and mercy to us. Leviticus. Read Leviticus uh, where they're talking about the different laws and see how many times God just says, I am the Lord. (laughs) That's all he has to say. I want you to do this. I am the Lord. You ever do that with your kids? Clean up your room. I am the Lord. You know, I do, but that's just... That's his answer. That's his reasoning. That's who he is. I am the Lord. Job. The book of Job is a real bummer through most of it uh, because Job has been afflicted. God has allowed Satan to afflict Job, but he couldn't take his life. And so uh, it's a bummer for, for Job. He's got boils all over his skin. All his kids are dead. His livestock is dead. He's in, in intense pain. <clears throat> and his friends come to counsel him. And as I was reading through this guy, uh, I don't know if it's Elihu or Elihu or whatever. Fortunately, we don't name our kids this anymore, so it doesn't really matter. But um, in, in chapter 36, this guy goes on and on forever. I mean, he, he, poor Job. I mean, talk about, you've got all this, uh, you've got all this, uh, pain and then your friend comes and talks to you for three chapters about what he thinks is going on he says a lot of great things about god he's got a very big picture of god and he's talking to job and basically he's saying to job you know you pretty much brought this on yourself and don't even be talking to god about it because god can do whatever he wants god's the greatest thing ever and uh, he's almighty and he, he's saying a lot of great things in chapter thirty. 5, 36, 37, and he goes on. And in my Bible, in, verse, in chapter 38, Leviticus 38, who's there? Oh, you, uh, it was someone over here, one of you two ladies, you're going to have to battle it out. Uh, but uh, it says, it, this is so cool. In my Bible, right above verse 38, it says, the Lord speaks. Now, so anyway, so this guy's, pontificating for four chapters about what he thinks about God. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, basically, oh, could you get this guy to shut up, please? If you knew the Hebrew like I knew it, you'd understand that that was correct. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm, and he said, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Oh, Brace yourself like a man. I will question you. You shall answer me. And we know uh, for anyone who's been in the faith for a while has heard this awesome questioning God does to Job. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? And it goes on and on and how God set limits for the ocean. And uh, I love this. This is God being sarcastic. This is so cool because I feel like I have the gift of sarcasm. So it's wonderful to see in other people and in God. Okay, so in verse 19, this is, what is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take, me, uh, take them to their places? Do you know the paths of their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You've lived so many years. Oh, you're so old. Hey, could you do me a favor? 
I, I, where's the lightning stored? Because I need to get over there. You can tell me. You're so old, right? Now, why do I bring this up? Because I think in a lot of ways in my own life, I think I have God figured out. And that's really dangerous. Like, like in a lot of ways, I, I kind of live my life going here and there, doing stuff. And, oh, God will be okay with this. Oh, this will be okay. Oh, I think, I think this will be right. Oh, yeah, no, God. I know God because the Word says this. I, he, yeah, He's... This week, man, I, I've been like, oh, I don't have that. Where was I when God decided what words he was going to put in this Bible that I stand up and I'm supposed to teach. I, I think in a lot of ways for myself, I need to begin to open the word up with a little more uh, healthy fear of God. I, I think that's what God wants us to have, to have this poor, poor in spirit. What we get out of it is the kingdom of God. Okay, and again, you know me. I love my relationship with the Lord. I, 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 I'm confident that it's a great relationship. But again, you know, have you ever, for those of you who have kids, you love your kids. I love playing with my kids. I joke around with my kids. But have you ever been talking with your kids and all of a sudden they, they cross the line? It's like, they're your buddy. It's great. It's great. And all of a sudden they say something and you're like, you know what, dude? <laughs> you're still seven, all right? I can still sell your parts and give them... And just give the money to your sisters, all right? Uh, sometimes I, I feel a little bit like I do that with the Lord. I'm like, hey, yeah, all right, you know? This is great, cool relationship. And I'm like, ah, I probably shouldn't have said that. When Lisa did her skydiving thing, which I still can't understand why anyone would want to do that, but um, she read a section of Scripture um, in Psalm 139.8. And see, this is, the day, this is why I really believe David was a man after God's own heart. Because I really believe that David understood how small he was. When, he, when Solomon got, uh, was his son had become king, he was just like, Lord, who, who am I that you would do something like this for me? All through scripture, he's writing these Psalms. He, you get an idea of how small he is. In Psalm 139, verse 8, anyone there? Yeah. Dig it. Nice shot. If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on, this is the, out of the message. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. Lisa read, the, I did a little video and Lisa read that for the video. And then as she's falling from the sky, you can see her pointing going, he's here, he's here. And you think, Man, way up there, he's there. There's no way to get away from him. I would be going, I'm going to die. I'm falling. That's the ground, you know. I will not. Unless the Lord says, I will not do that. But in Psalm 139, he says, You hem me in behind and before you have laid your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. When was the last time during the week I went, I got nothing. 
I can't even begin. Even when I make the mountain range and I make your big toe or even pinky toe go way over the mountain range, it's nothing. It's too lofty for me how great God is. I, I, I can't do it. He goes on, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your right hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me steadfast. He's all around us. That's how we view God. As we, to be poor in spirit means we begin to really see God as best as our little peanut brains can can fathom for who he is and it's frightening and it's exciting that that god knows the numbers of hairs it's getting easier for him (laughs) oh one just fell right when i did that he's like 2059 okay i had 2060 how we view others poor in spirit the poor in spirit view others differently than the proud. We get to um, Jesus in Matthew. We're going to talk about this when we get to Matthew chapter 18. It's a great time uh, for Peter. He, he's beginning to see that Jesus is, is uh, the Messiah and he's kind of got his religion down now. Kind of like me. I pretty much got it all figured out. So they're talking to Jesus and Peter says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. You know, we've all heard this one. That's pretty good. Seven times seems cool to me. And depending on your translation, Jesus says, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, other translations say 70 times seven, which is a better uh, translation than that. And then he goes, he, he, he says, basically, this is what I want you to get out of what I mean by 70 times seven. Okay. It doesn't mean you keep track. So some marriages are like that. Well, I'm almost done. Once I get up to, once I get to 70 times 70 and I, one more, I don't have to forgive anymore. Woo! Okay, no. He tells a story to try and give us an idea of what it means to be poor in spirit on how we view others, how we forgive others. It says, therefore, the kingdom, this is in Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. I'm not even going to ask who got there first. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he begun the settlement, a man owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So that's what we start with, is this guy that has an insurmountable debt. Millions of dollars in today's economy. And not only that, he's about ready to have his wife and children sold into slavery. I mean, sometimes I read through these scriptures and I'm like, oh yeah, yay, there he was, and this is what happened. Think about that. Think about your own kids or your family. And it's like, man, because of something you did, they're gone now. This is the state he was in. So the servant fell on his knees before him and said, be patient with me. I will repay. Now let me ask you something. Could that servant repay? No. He, he can't. He couldn't repay. There's no way he was going to repay. So even when he says, falls on his knees and says, be patient with me, I'll pay you back. The king is like, no, no, you won't. But here's what he says. The servant's master took pity on him 
It all comes from the master. Canceled the debt and let him go. So here's this guy. We really cannot feel the weight of this. Here's this guy who owed everything. He had no ability to repay. His whole family was going to be sold out to slavery. And it's forgiven. Imagine that feeling. I don't know if any of you have been in a situation where you've been in financial debt. I have where I was able to repay a credit card and you're done. And you're like, I don't know if there's any, some type of credit dance you're supposed to do, but I was doing it. I, I didn't have that debt. That is a very small sense of where we are in this. So he goes out and he's like, he has this unbelievable freedom. And he goes out and he finds someone that owes him a hundred bucks. Well, it's a hundred, it's a hundred denarii. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a little bit of money. And he grabs him by the throat and says, you better repay me. Well, when the king finds out about this, I just forgave you a million bucks and you're going over a guy who owes you a hundred bucks. So he gets ticked and he puts him back in prison and says, you know what? You will repay every dime. Now, why does Jesus bring this in the, in, in the idea of forgiveness? Because the poor in spirit, the poor in spirit come from a, an, a, a state they realize they got nothing and they've been given everything. They've, they've totally spit in the face of Jesus and drove the nail in his hands. And yet God says, I forgive you. And then somebody does something to them. And so as we begin to look at our own life, we have to come from the understanding there is nothing. I don't care what it is. There is nothing anyone can do to me that can be come close to what I've done to God. And yet God's forgiven me. That's the point of Jesus. And that's the poor in spirit. It's again a constant reminder of who we are. That's how we, how we forgive people. is a good indication of whether or not we're poor in spirit. If you're quick or if I'm quick. Oh, I can't, I can't believe he said that. Oh, I, don't say hi then. You ever do that? Was it, I don't know. When I was in high school, that was the big thing, you know. Hey, how's it going? Don't say hi then. You know, you're so offended, right? Some people are real quick to that. Sometimes in my life, at times in my life, I'm quick to, oh, I can't believe that. That's not poor in spirit. The other thing is how we look at people. In James, uh, it talks about uh, um, uh, how we, how we ascri- ascribe value to people. In James, he says, look, don't take your religion with an attitude of favoritism. If somebody walks through those doors at Living Spring Christian Fellowship, my prayer is I don't care what they look like, who they are, what they do. We treat them exactly the same that if they, if they drove up in a Cadillac <laughs> like that one. Now, we may, we may notice people differently just because of our upbringing or whatever. Like, whoa, I didn't expect that person here. That, that's fine. But... Ascribing value? No, 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 no. The poor in spirit look at everyone the same. Now, do I do that all the time? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But the poor in spirit go, okay, how can I change this line of thinking? I I wish so badly that our church just looked like heaven. Every tribe, tongue, people, and nation here. We're not there yet. But it doesn't matter who walks through those doors. 
we should be a people who, who love people. So it says, if you show special attention, this is in James chapter 2, verse 3. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen. Listen, my dear brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. But you have insulted the poor. And then he goes into a great... Is, this is so true today. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him uh, uh, to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. We need to be people poor in spirit, ready to go. I don't care who it is that walks through that door. I'm going to love them. And I'm not going to ascribe value to them. Again, if someone comes in waving a gun, tackle them. But other than that, we're we're doing all right. How we judge people. How we judge people. This is another way we look. Remember when Jesus was uh, talking um, to his disciples and he... Again, the Pharisees, the reason Jesus was so bummed at the Pharisees was because they were not poor in spirit. They kept coming thinking, oh yeah, I got it all figured out. I got it. I don't need anything. And so Jesus tells a story about uh, a Pharisee on one corner and a tax collector on the other. And the Pharisee comes and he says, uh, it says, two, two went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed. Oh, I'm sorry. I said they were on the corner. They were in the temple. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. <laughs> he prayed about himself. Isn't that awesome? Do you ever do that? I know I've done that before. I prayed about my, not to God, but I prayed about myself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Ah, there we are. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. Remember I told you about the poor beggars? They They won't even look up. Their face is covered. But beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And and, uh, he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's how God wants us to come. Now again, it doesn't make us more spiritual to be, oh, woe is me, I can't. What I'm saying is we need to look and see who this God is that we serve. It's going to make a big impact on how we see others. Other people's sin is irrelevant to us. Did you know that? Now it might have an effect on us, but it's irrelevant to how, how we see ourselves. And we'll see that right now. How we see ourselves is a third thing. How we see God, how we see people, and how we see ourselves is all an indication of if we're poor in spirit or not. The first is how we see our sin. Um, I have three children, uh, and one of them uh, told a half-truth uh, a, a couple of weeks ago. I won't uh, mention 
that child's name, <coughs> Jesse. <coughs> and so, uh, no, I'm kidding. He's a good kid. So he, he loses the privilege of the computer for five days or whatever. I mean, and so, so then we get to another issue. And so I tacked on another five days and then uh, we had to tack on another day. Okay, so we got 11 days. And he comes up to me and he says, you made me lose the, com- the privilege for 11 days. And I said, well, hold on a second. Hold on a second. I, I made you lose? Okay, what decision did I make? Did, how did we even get to this? So we begin to go over. And God bless Jesse. I love this kid. He is so cool. He began to see, oh, oh yeah. Okay, no, I understand. I said, what happened on the first five days? Oh, I, I did. I, who did it? I, I did it. He began to see, and he began to see the poor in spirit come out of him. And it's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And so he began to really understand what was happening. This week, I have begun looking at my life and trying to figure out different sins and different things. And it's me. It's me. It's not, well, if my wife hadn't said this, I wouldn't have. It's me. It's you. (laughs) Okay? It's you. It's not because your boss is such an idiot, that's why you gossip. It's you. It's me. I'm the sinner. It all falls on me. In 1 Timothy, listen to Paul. Paul is really uh, uh, amazing. It's a lot of scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 1. So pay attention. I'll try to kind of read over it. He basically says to Timothy, I thank Christ our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful and appointed me to his service. He's saying, I just can't believe God would do this. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith. And here's what he says. Here's a trustworthy saying deserving full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Now, Paul doesn't say that because he just, spiritual people just say they are worse. No, he says it because he he fully understands what his sin does. He fully understands the seriousness of it. For that very reason I was shown mercy, that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who believe. How we see our sin is very important, a very important test of if we are poor in spirit. If we're just flippant about it, there's a good chance we're not poor in spirit. And there's also a good chance we don't understand the God we serve. How we see our sin, also how we see our accomplishments. Paul, again, in Philippians, when we went over this section of Scripture, he says, I have a ton of reasons to be like a Pharisee. I was one. He says, I've got great reasons to put confidence in the flesh. This is uh, chapter 3. I was, uh, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm from the people of Israel, from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for uh, legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was profit to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. However many scriptures I memorized, 
this was a big deal for me. I, I love this section of Scripture because it really speaks to my heart. I used to love memorizing Scripture and knowing my doctrine and arguing with other Christians and basically being useless. You know, I, I just, I knew a ton, but didn't ever put it anything into practice. So he goes on, he says, those things are lost. What, what, you know what's more? I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and considered them rubbish that I may gain Christ. We translated that word rubbish. It, it's essentially dung. If in today's vernacular, I'm sorry, it would be crap. That's what it would be. That's what we'd say. Um, for those of you, uh, send all your emails to Cece. She reads through them first. But uh, that's what it would be. All the stuff I have is crap. It's nothing. I, I work all my religion up and I get it all together. And I know uh, that, da, 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 you know, it's like your kid when they get daddy. I made, you know, when they're like four and five, daddy, I made you a picture. And you're like, whoa, that's a tree. No, it's you, daddy. Oh, thanks. What's this? That's your head. Oh, thank you, son. It's so beautiful. They're so proud, and you'd like go, this thing's terrible. Honey, we've got to send them to art school or something. Get them, right? When we take our religion, the minute we think it's something, it's nothing. See, when my, when my kid comes to me and gives me this picture that looks terrible, and they come with an attitude of, <laughs> check this out. Y- your first thing is, did you see what your sister did? Because it's a lot better. When they come with, when they come with an attitude of, I did this for you. And you post it up, you frame it, you're like, this is my kid. This is what they can do. When we come and we have all our religion and we, da, 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 da. God's going, that's nothing. It's me. You need to want me. I'm the one who's given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. As the worship band returns uh, to the stage, we're going to go into a slower time of worship. I want us to see one last verse so that we don't completely lose heart here. Galatians 6, 4. Each one should test his own actions. See, what I love about the Word of God is that there's no... The standard God set is be holy for I am holy. Okay? That's fantastic. That's going to be a tough one to do. But praise God, we're only responsible for ourselves. And if you have children, you're responsible for raising them up to a certain age. But, but we're only responsible for ourselves. And it says each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. So the, the poor in spirit, at least we can say, well, I used to do this a lot and I don't do that anymore. We do have that. But again, when we bring it to God, we say, oh, Lord Jesus, I got nothing. And the most amazing thing about this to me is that the poor in spirit, the people who offer nothing, they have nothing to bring, they get the kingdom of God. Think about that. 
when we come and we humble ourselves and we, we say, you know, I got I to gotta look at the way I live my life, we get the kingdom of God. What I'd like to do, um, before we go into the slower type of worship, I want to uh, sing one more song. Um, it's, uh, it's not on my sheet. Did you guys get two sheets? You got a front and a back? Can somebody give me the one of those? I forgot the name of it. Thank you very much. I want to go back to this song. Yeah. Let's go back to what can I do. <clears throat> this is a real good indication of being poor in spirit. It says, when I see the beauty of a sunset's glory, amazing artistry across the evening sky, when I feel the mystery of a distant galaxy, it awes and humbles me to be loved by a God so high. What can I do but thank you? What can I do but give my life to you? Hallelujah, hallelujah. What can I do but praise you every day? Make everything I do a hallelujah, a hallelujah. When I hear the story of a God of mercy who shared humanity and suffered by your side on the cross they nailed you to, that could not hold you, now you're making all things new by the power of your risen life. What can I do but thank you? That is being poor in spirit. We are in love.